Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by sponsors like Johnsonville Foods, SwineWeb.com, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth, and SwineTech, the award-winning creator of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how you can reduce piglet crushing and your overall pre-winning mortalities by nearly 25%, visit SwineTechnologies.com. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about the 2021 outlook and true versus truth. Joining us is Jim Long. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing real well. Beautiful day. Thank you. 2020 over. Time to move on. It is. It is. It is a very good thing. 2021 is behind, or 2020 is behind us, and that we've moved into another year. Uh, the weather here is snowy, so I'm not as excited about the weather. But uh, really love to start this episode off by just hearing a little bit about your background. What got you into the swine industry and to where you are today? My uh, father built a turnkey swine farm in 1968. Total confinement, uh, all pigs inside, 1968, got to go back 50 years. Uh, separate drying rooms, separate finishing rooms, separate grower rooms. Uh, it was a barn ahead of its time. It was built by a company called Tripway which was one of, there was a man named Urban Tripp that laid it out in the 1960s. My family started as a Tripway genetic multiplier in Canada. All the pigs came from Lubbock, Texas, which were the base of DeKalb, but it was before DeKalb really got started. So we started in it then. I mean, then I grew up in the business and things have evolved from there. So it's been a long time. Uh, seen a huge changes in the industry. And there'll be huge changes going forward. Is there any any part of your career up leading till now that was probably the most pivotal? Um, any stories, any any events that you can think of that were like more so made you who you are today? Yeah, no, uh, 18 years ago, I went bankrupt. That's a pretty pivotal situation. A lot of circumstances, it is. a lot of reasons, no excuses. The thing is, I learned from it is no point of dwelling on it, drive forward. Uh, this business is can be very hard, not very forgiving. So the point is, I hope I learned from it. And the one thing I did learn is nobody really cared. You better look after yourself and drive forward. There's no point of feeling sad for yourself because it doesn't do anything good. So that was a pretty pivotal part of my life. And I don't apologize for it. I know Henry Ford went broke three times and he did okay. <laughs> he did do okay. <laughs> I, I think that's a good, uh, actually a good segue into one of the big topics of the day, which is true versus truth. When, when we look at true versus truth, this is something when we started our business, we were advised on is the, the word true and, and the way they explained it was uh, the pers- your perspective of something. And the word truth to them was the universal truth, right? Something that can't be changed, something that, that just is what it is. Uh, 
true versus truth, I think, can apply to a lot of things that we've seen within the swine industry and a, and a lot of things just in, in business as general as a producer. Um, when you hear true versus truth, can you expand on that? What is that to you? What do you think that is to the industry? That's a very fair question. I guess I'll just speak on my, well, myself. Like I write a weekly commentary, which a lot of people read. And what I, I guess it's my truth that day. Okay. It's what I believe that day. It's my perception that day. Is it true? It's always subjective. There's very few true things in our industry. A lot of it's speculation. There's only, the only truths I really believe is the price of pigs. Probably how many pigs are killed a day. After that, I don't know. Okay. Uh, you go back to, you know, USDA report on September 1st said there was going to be 10% less pigs over 180 pounds. I think we ended up with 1%, basically 10% more pigs, and we ended up with 1% more. That's quite a difference. It was a big impact on the industry because of what it did was depress prices because of the speculation that they're not speculation, the expectation. There was a lot of hogs going to come and they weren't there and they never came. So it's part of the challenge we have. And I'm not saying the USDA people didn't try to get it right, but that's the challenge to get the real truth or true. What's true. You know, people look at China right now and there's this discussion about all these pigs are going to come in expansion and doing things. And our company does business in China. I'm basically in a discussion about China every day with our team in China. There is expansion in China, but they knocked out 20 million south. They're building farms, but I can tell you, we have orders where we're delivering breeding stock to China regularly and everything's late. And farms aren't done on time. So part of it is you look at that and you go, what is it? The truth the truth is, I don't think anybody knows how many pigs are in China. I mean, even when you look at their data, they got two data points, and the one data point, six million sows different than the other one. Which one do you want to use? Right. That's a lot of sows. Yeah, that's exactly right. And there's still ASF. There's still other issues. Corn's $11 a bushel in China right now. Okay. The cost reduction is about $170 a market hot. Like, you need to have a bunch of money. And that's going to slow things down. Yeah. The only truth I believe in China right now is pigs are 35 RMB, 36 RMB a kilogram. And that's like $2.45 US live weight a pound. We've all been in the business long enough. Nobody pays more than they have to. So if pigs are two forty-five US live weight a pound in China, that tells me that's what they can get for them because there isn't enough. The average mm -hmm. GDP of people in China is like $14,000 a year. Isn't like it's a huge prosperous society overall. Just, there's individuals, there's a percentage that are very wealthy, but as a group, it isn't like they got a lot of money. Think about what percentage of the disposable income goes to pork if you're making $14,000 a year. So that's part, that's part of the challenge. It's just a lot of it's just speculation, trying to look at it, trying to figure out what is true. And there's very few things you can really know for sure. 
So in an industry where it is so hard to know what is true and a lot of it is subjective, what are some things that, that you do? What are some things that producers can do to research or know as much as you can or at least define your truth as best as possible? Very little. Because I think part of all the things we just talked about is the challenge for people in the business. Really what you have to do is put your head down, drive your costs down, increase your productivity, and make any marketing decisions you think are right. I mean, the people, the price of corn where it is today in the U.S. and soybean meal, nobody saw that coming. I mean, and the thing is, if you look at it, if you look at the USDA inventory reports in the first part of December, there's nothing in that would say why the price has gotten where it is. But it has. The truth is the price. Well, stay there. I don't know. Corn got to 450 the summer two years ago, and then it collapsed. I don't know where all this corn's going to get eaten. Maybe it's that much short in South America. But oh, this idea, all these Chinese are going to eat all this much more feed, I, I guess so. But I don't see where all this consumption is going to come from. The Chinese don't produce a lot of corn. I guess we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't. There's no. There's no silver bullet for this. You got to be. The thing is, you got to have a passion for the business. You got to be focused on it. You got to be in it. There's no half-ass way of being in this business. You got to. So be with, with that being said, with there really isn't a, a great way. Um, I I don't think so. Maybe somebody else has got the formula. You're asking me. I, I don't know. Okay. We, like, we encourage the wrong guy to ask. Okay. <laughs> We encourage those people to comment or, or reach out if you guys have the way. If you guys think you have the way, it's worth interviewing you to figure out what it might be. Uh, but as an industry, 2021 outlook, first episode of the year, what are some of the New Year's resolutions that you think the industry should be making after everything we learned through 2020? There's lots that happened in 2020 that nobody could have done anything about. I mean, COVID was a situation that was out of people's control. It was a you know black swan event, absolutely, and it was compounded by the political issues between China and the U.S., which suppressed exports and created a lot of opportunities for the Europeans to go in and take the business from North America, even though North America produced pork at a lower cost of production. So it was a double whammy, two black swan events in my mind. Yeah. Okay, so we got a situation. The COVID is, is a reality in the marketplace. It appears that the slaughter plants are being able to operate. We got the vaccines now. I understand the strategy of the government, if there is one, is that the, the vaccines are going to be given to the food processing people as one of the first groups, which would make sense because every society probably is a good idea to have food. Okay. <laughs> And yeah, just a basic necessity. Yeah, like it's like you listen to some of the things, how things are measured. In Ontario here, they got all the stores closed except for the food store and the liquor stores. So that's the definition of essential in Canada. The liquor stores have to stay open. So every society has its own definition <laughs> for essential. So for, for pork producers, I mean, when we look at that, then what is there anything that we've learned that you think can be applied I, I to I don't know. There's a, I think as an industry, okay, I, this is something that I have said a lot and I truly believe there's been 
we got this panacea of export pork. I read things, you know, we got to export more pork, we got to do this. Well, it isn't a trustworthy way to develop a business. I understand why to a certain extent, but I see so little focus on growing the domestic market, which is mm -hmm. here in the strongest economy you could argue in the world with a big domestic base. And for 20 plus years, the pork industry hasn't grown market. We've lost market share. Per capita consumption has declined for 20 plus years, while chicken and beef have accelerated, and we've lost relative market share. I, I think it's so obvious to me what the problem is. We had a strategy of the other white meat, which was the first branding program in the history of the world that tried to create your brand with cheaper product. Like, why would anybody want a brand to a cheaper product? But the pork industry, in their wisdom of a billion dollars later of checkoff, decided the other white meat program was what the strategy should be. So we try to become chicken. So what we do, we pressed out, made them leaner, okay? So what did we do? Took the taste out of our pork. All you gotta do is look at pork, pork cutouts 20 plus years ago, loins and hams were at the top of the cutout, value-wise. Where, who's there today? Okay, let me think. Oh, bellies, because bellies are so lean. Ribs, yep. because they're so lean. Shoulders. So good for you. Yeah, like, like, but the point is, people vote with their money, and they vote for taste. And we are been so idiotic, chasing the idea that we're going to make a leaner product, and people aren't paying money for it. It's it's the reality, and we've lost market share. We can look at at the cutouts. Okay, then I hear. Okay, Japan. Well, the Japanese, they want marble pork in color. Why? It tastes better. So we're going to go in the plants and we're going to sort off the better tasting pork and send it to Japan. Oh, we can do, that's what we do. Okay, what, is the American consumer some sort of second-class citizen? Why don't we deliver the same product here? Grow our market share. If every American ate pork one more day a month, it's 7 million market hogs. That's real demand. Demand yeah. drives price. We are so fixated on cost, we forget about price and demand. It's a combination supply, demand. It's, I, I find it. I, I find it extraordinary. All the evidence is there. What we need to do. And we've, we've floundered. I see a lack of leadership from the NPPC. All I read is about exports. Oh, we're going to sell support to Guatemala. Oh, whoa, really? Or Colombia. I'm not saying it isn't important. But where's the focus to grow in the demand here? I don't get it. It's a strategy. Like, okay, Genesis, we do business all over the world. Okay, we're in 40 countries. We have production in 14 countries. 
We know the markets of those places. We watch it. If you're exporting, you've got the, if you look at all the countries that export, they got the lowest prices in the world. I spoke to the Russian Pig Association a few weeks ago, and they were talking about expanding. And I said, I showed them, these are the price of pigs from the export countries. This is your price. You want to go there? <laughs> like, like, why, why yeah. would you not focus on growing your domestic demand? You got 145 million people. People like pork there. Beef isn't really an option for them. Like, so do you want to go there? And I understand after I spoke, it kind of turned the thing place upside down to a certain extent because they were all thinking they wanted export. I said, these are the facts. You want to go there? Are you ready to get less money? Because that's what happens. You become a price taker. And then you have the issue of, okay, like China. Are they really, can we really, can you really, all of a sudden they might not decide to take anything or some yeah. health issue. Like the domestic market, you can count on. It's just good business to focus on how we could get increased per capita consumption, five pounds per capita. It just make our industry stronger. I was talking the other day with some friends. I was like, you know what would I think would be successful or what I wish there was? I wish there was a fast food place where I'd get a pork burger. They're like, what's a pork burger? What do you mean what's a pork burger? Pork burgers are made. I've never had a pork burger. It's like either you have bacon, which is very tasty, not necessarily nutritious right? To, from a healthy standpoint, or you've got super, super lean cuts without a ton of flavor. There isn't a lot in the middle. I mean, you, you almost have to choose either way. And I, I wish as a consumer, I could have more variety and a little bit more, more choice. Well, if you look, absolutely. I mean, if you look at our per capita consumption in North America versus Europe, we're half. They're almost double per capita consumption. Why? They do a lot of things with their product, sausages, different products they make. You know, it's, you can see it, you know, like you go, we do quite a bit of business in Spain, Iberian hams or uh, Serrano hams. They're just worth a lot more money. Uh, the Iberian, a lot of our Duroc use that have like a half their Iberian breed in our Duroc. They'll see a leg, they'll sell a leg of ham for 600 euros. So that's $700 plus. And people, you've got stores you walk into, they're all in there. Like there's whole stores dedicated to it. We have to broaden how, do, how can we grow our business? think it through i'm gonna make i'm a farmer okay and that's what i started as and i still think like a farmer but as farmers we got to stop thinking like farmers and become marketers you know we take 10 months to raise a pig and then we take a minute to sell it and we're just so happy if somebody would give us a packer contract to take them off our hands you know like yeah. oh boy i got a packer contract okay that's right i get it I understand the reality of it. The thing is, what's our strategy to grow our business? Have a better product that tastes better, that drives demand, that we can go in, compete against beef. Competing against chicken is like a loser's strategy. I mean, if you look at the total money spent in the U.S. on pork versus chicken, we give more money. We just don't get the tonnage of chicken. 
I think there's a huge opportunity. And I don't think it's it's that difficult if we use our head uh, and have a strategy as an industry how we're going to drive demand. Out beyond just we're going to load up containers and ship it somewhere. So as a, as a producer then, I guess when we, when we look at focusing domestically let's let's run with this domestic improvement of our market share how much of that is on the NPPC and on our leadership and how much of that is on an individual producer what can an individual producer do to think more like a marketer diversify and create a product that is more very guess, valued very very the consumer very little we need the leadership of NPC and the National Park Board. I mean, they're getting $60 million a year between the two of them in funding. You know, what's the game? I mean, and the thing is, is then we have to get to the retailers. We have to get the consumers. It's not easy, but we all know what drives it. All you got to do is look at that belly, the belly price. Yeah. You say about nutrition, I don't think people buy on it. They buy on taste and that's what they remember and if we if you eat a loin that doesn't have any marbling and taste people don't come back and buy it again soon like if you don't have a good eating experience it doesn't create repetitive demand where people vote with their money to buy like i was in a store the other day you know there's a coronavirus issue it was on the day after new year's okay there was no bacon in the store. There was no bacon. I don't know why. It was all gone. Okay. But there was other stuff. Yeah. Okay. Again, I'm not saying that is a necessary reflection of the total situation, but I think we all see it. Why did they put bacon on the hamburger? Oh, let me think. Uh, give it taste. Like, It's out there. It isn't, don't need to do a giant study. We all know it. I mean, I've seen it where people, they don't even want to eat their own pork that they raise. <laughs> Which is crazy. No, it isn't crazy. It's what it is. Okay. Because the system has driven us to this making a chicken with no taste. And, you know, people, producers like our company, we worked hard for the last 20 years to develop a pork that tastes better. I've had many producers say, well, that doesn't matter to me. I don't get paid for that. I understand it. But yes, we do. Mm -hmm. I understand that individual thought process, and I'm not critical of that. You know, they get rewarded for, in some situations, the leaner, the better. You know, nobody wants to eat it afterwards, but, you know, the system, that's direct, that's what's, what's being rewarded. And those pigs aren't the ones who get sent to Japan with a premium. Like why the Packers sort off the, the darker meat and marbling go to Japan? Because they get more money. Why? Because the Japanese will pay more because it tastes better. They don't want that real lean stuff. They won't even, they don't want it. They won't, if they take it, and some of it goes, I know, but it's cheap. It's, it's just, it's a reality. You talk about truth and truth. That's true. 
they start off the best stuff and send to Japan. Which is sad because our consumers aren't really able to appreciate the amazing flavors of pork. There's a, yeah. As they should be. There's some products out there. It's just the mindset of our industry has to be evolved. And yes, I think the National Pork, you know, the National Pork Board, APPC, they were involved in trying to create, change the grade system to identify better marbling and color. And that was the right thing to do. They got the resistance against it and they capitulated. Part of the challenge is if I was a packing company, I'd be scared of it because what am I going to do with the other the 65, 75% of the stuff that isn't very good? What happens if somebody says, okay, I want all prime or whatever the highest grade was. And they're going, what are we going to do with the rest of the stuff? Yeah. They knew the reality. And I understand that was the dilemma. You know, we can, we can't grade them, uh, but we can grade them for Japan. Like they seem to, yeah, like there's, I, I understand from the factors perspective what the challenge was, but at the end of the day, you know, it was kind of an all-in situation, all-in or all-out. Maybe there should have been an uh, evolution of the grades rather than boom. Don't know. I mean, the cattle industry is, you know, the uh, you know, certified Angus beef has worked pretty well with using the USDA grade system on, you know, choice selection. Yeah. And sure. we don't have that in the pork industry. Well, this is uh, this is this has been really good and real fun to talk about. I think it's a, just a good topic leading into a new year. Just kind of thinking about what we can do to be less dependent on export and more dependent on the domestic market, and create a better experience or just a good experience, a great experience for domestic consumers. Uh, before we take off here, if if you could, would you be willing to share a golden nugget for listeners, something that you might have carried through life or or comes to your head now that's that might be a good good golden nugget. Uh, I guess what I'd say is, I don't know if it's a golden nugget. I'll just give you my read of what I see coming this year. Okay. I think the futures are undervalued relative to where we're going to be on the markets. I think uh, export demand is going to be solid. The fact that Germany's out of the Asian markets is going to create more demand for the North American port. I believe, just like USDA couldn't get the inventories right of pigs, I don't believe they got the inventories right on the sow herd. I think the sow herd's smaller than what they're projecting. I mean, if you go in the marketplace today and like we got people situated around North America that work for us, there's empty barns everywhere. We got less pigs and a combination of the liquidation. I believe PERS has been worse this year. I believe PED's been worth this year. Right, mm-hmm. like it's it's uh, so we're going to have less supply. I think the domestic demand will be similar to what we've had, but the export the export will be as strong. We're just going to have less supply. So I read a thing the other day. Dennis Smith wrote that he thought the summer hogs could get to a dollar clean about. I have no problem believing that. What I can, what I see, what I believe. I might be too optimistic, but generally speaking, anybody who's left in this hog industry is an optimistic person because if you ever wanted to write a list of all the reasons not to be in it, it's a long list because a lot of things could go wrong. So you better be thinking positive, 
and moving forward. Okay, so what we got left in this industry is a bunch of positive people. I've made the analogy before, if I ever want to go to war, I want a bunch of pig farmers with me in my foxhole <laughs> because you can't kill them, okay? Because we, we're a very resilient group of people. We get a lot of challenges coming at us, okay? And we, generally speaking, we dig our way out of it. And I don't know if it's a that's a business strategy. It just seems to be what we got. I see the opportunity is good in 2020. Like, I might be overly optimistic, but that's what I think. That's my truth. Whether that's true is another thing. We do have a very true. We we have a do we do have a very passionate and resilient group of uh, producers and and farmers in this industry. It's well, there was a guy said a while ago. I heard this 20 years ago, and maybe this isn't politically correct. One guy said, "The women and children are dead, and all that's left in this industry are the warriors." Oh, jeez. <laughs> like meaning, the analogy was like the people. You know, it's a tough business. It kind of willed everybody down. Yeah. Yeah, you got the the warriors, which I mean, in this industry right now includes women and, and children in I some know, cases. As we're I, I, I said, hey, that was the analogy. I said it wasn't <laughs> politically correct, but it's the gist of we got how that's how we get to the warrior part. It is though. I mean, women, we do. There, I mean, there, 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 some women I've, I've met in this business are tougher than just about all the men. So I, I don't mean it from that point perspective. I think everybody understands where you're coming from. And it's true though. I mean, there aren't a lot of people left who are just wavering like, oh, maybe I'm in it for the long run. Maybe I'm not. If you're in it, you're in it and you're in it, in it deep. And, and you're, you're either in all you're in, in, you're either all in or you're dead. Yeah. There's no, you, you can't be in this business any other way. That's what I, I mean. That's, I mean, we're probably, what, 20, 25 years removed from a world where we could be half in? Like, I mean, my grandfather, he had pigs, he had cattle, and it wasn't the, the full-time focus, but you can't really have it as as a, a side thing anymore, really, can you? No, I don't think so, but I think a lot of things in business have evolved that way. I don't think it's just the swine industry. As things consolidated, everybody's got more, had to get more specialized and get better at what they're doing, whether or not it's the pig business feed business, drug business, you know, car, look at the car, General Motors didn't get better and they lost 1% market share for 30 years every year. Why? Because they didn't, the other people came along with, ate away at them with the products, right? Yep. You know, you either keep getting better or you're dead. And it's an evolution. I mean, I'm CEO of a genetic company. We're on a quest every year to keep having better genetics. What we had five years ago wasn't good enough for today. Yeah. And you can see like the swine genetic business, the huge consolidation that's in it. There's maybe only five, six of us in the world that are global companies. And if you look at, if you went to a trade show in the US 20 years ago, you went to the Iowa Pork Congress, there was 35 exhibits, people celebrating stuff. Well, we appreciate you joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast. This has been a, a great a great conversation, and I think a lot of people are going to gain a lot of value from it. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com 
and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineTech. Leverage the power of computer vision, voice recognition, and real-time behavioral monitoring to reduce mortalities and labor inefficiencies in the farrowing house. For more information, visit swinetechnologies.com.